Uh, one day Jesus wants to take a couple of his disciples with him to show them something that no one of his disciples would see. And just randomly he goes, you, you. And you, come with me. We have no idea where he's going, but we've been following him this far, so I guess we'll just keep following him. It's an amazing thing when you get on a journey with Jesus Christ because usually you wind up going places you never thought you would go and experiencing things you never thought you would experience. Following Jesus is an absolute adventure. Doesn't always turn out the way that you thought it was going to be, and it doesn't always shape up to be what you thought in your mind it should be, but uh, rest assured, it will be an adventure. I can't imagine what's running through the mind of the disciples at this time, maybe because of some of the other things they have experienced up until this point. They're kind of projecting, maybe anticipating what he might be doing today. Hope we don't wind up on a ship. Seems not to go well for us when we get on the sea with Jesus. He sleeps, we get scared. Hope we don't get on the other side of that storm and run into a naked man with demons. It's been an adventure with Jesus so far. I wonder what it's going to be today. Jesus takes them and gets them to the top of a mountain, and there he does something that uh, I don't think any preacher has ever been able to properly articulate and describe. Though Scripture writes it this, the exact way it happens, it has been absolutely difficult for me or anybody else that I've heard preach on the subject really try to Explain what has happened here. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy One wrapped in flesh, coming through the womb of a virgin, decides to take three of his disciples up on a mountain and do something that, again, we read it, but do we really know what happened? The best way the writer can describe it and jot it down is that he was transfigured. He was transformed. We don't know exactly what this looks like, but we do know that it was amazing. That, that, that dazzling white became something so bright to them, they had never seen it before. They couldn't Compare it to anything else, I had no clue they had bleach. <laughs> it was dazzling white, whiter than anything they had ever seen, whiter than the purest driven snow, whiter than any bleach you could use on your white clothes. He was dazzling. He became spectacular. He was transformed in front of them, and what they beheld was something that 
is better experienced than it is trying to be explained. Imagine with me if this is you. You've already seen some cool stuff Jesus does. If you started off in his ministry with him, you were there when he turned water into wine. And you knew it was water. And you knew it was dirty water. For it was not the water that was cleaned in some nice bowls or glasses. It was the water that was uh, uh, used to rinse off the hands and the feet of those that traveled to the event. He turns that water into wine. If you've been around Jesus, you've already been amazed that he could take two fish and five loaves of bread and break it, bless it, multiply it, and feed thousands. The best free lunch in human history. But now you're experiencing something that's kind of hard to describe. And it is absolutely amazing, and it should really render everyone speechless. everyone got smacked. There always has to be one. <laughs> and you would think the reason why you don't want to bring 12 because of course somebody's probably going to lose their mind. So if you get it down to three, you're probably bringing your best three. They should appreciate the moment for who it is. But one of the three was a loud mouth. One of the three is that guy that can't seem to stop talking. He always opens his mouth at the wrong time. He always says something that counteracts or completely contradicts something brilliant that he said just moments before. Matthew 16 gives us one of those times. Who do men say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet like Elijah. Who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up. You are Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father has revealed this to you. Good on you, Peter. That's amazing. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And what you should know is that the son of man is going to have to have his life offered up. And soon, I mean, Peter just got the keys. And Jesus says, yeah, the Son of Man is going to be, have to be offered up. He was like, it won't happen. Not at all. It will not happen. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's like, I just got the revelation. Yeah, and you just got rebuked. They both start with R, deal with it. <laughs> Peter cannot keep his mouth shut and just enjoy the moment. No. Because he sees Jesus, and then 
making some cameo appearances next to him are Moses and Elijah. Now, that's amazing by itself. What's more amazing is how did they know who they were? <laughs> now, obviously we know that bleach was invented. But they either had some oral tradition with the most descriptive people who have ever lived in life. But how do two men that you've never seen before appear next to Jesus, who is dazzling white? And you go, that is Moses and that is Elisha. <laughs> Sup, fellas? I know y'all was coming. We got it invited, but I didn't know that you all were being invited. Wait, aren't y'all dead? <laughs> Moses, who buried you? And Elijah, was it really a chariot? And a whirlwind? This is amazing. Unbelievable. It's, this, this is more than just Jesus turning into dazzling white. Look who came to the party. It's five of us, and, and we're really kind of nothing, but y'all are, um, I mean, this is Moses. Moses, you wrote the first five books. You're amazing. You're the most humble man in the whole Old Testament. I mean, well, you wrote that about yourself, but I mean, just, it's, it's probably true. It's inspired by God. We're going to let it go. And then you, Elijah, you called down fire from heaven. You were the most amazing prophet in the Old Testament, and y'all are both here. This is great. We should build. I got the greatest idea. This is. This, oh, oh, I know what we should do. We should build three shelters. This would be amazing. Now, Jesus, you're you're man. You're gonna get one. But Moses, you need one too. I mean, you built the tabernacle for God. I guess you should get a little something. Elijah, you were kind of mean, but you're amazing. So we're just gonna get you something over here. And we're going to make a, a shelter for Jesus as well. He, he, I love how the scripture describes it. The reason why he started talking is because he didn't know what else to do. He got, <laughs> he got so scared he just started talking. Anybody like that? When you get nervous, you just start saying stuff. It doesn't make, even make sense. Ah, peaches! I don't know. Uh, roaches! I don't know. You just start talking, he just starts making stuff up. We're going to make shelters for everybody. And you'll be here, and you'll be here, and you'll be here, and this will be great. And then something amazing happens. This cloud descends over this incredibly holy moment. And the same voice that was heard when Jesus got baptized by his cousin is heard here. This is my son. Listen to him. In that moment, 
after hearing his dad speak, there was a moment of terror. When they look up again, they don't see Moses and they don't see Elijah. They only see Jesus. This is incredibly profound to me. The reason why it is is because I believe that there's a lesson that we can learn from this moment. And it is that in light of everything that we read in Scripture, we have to filter it through the words of Jesus. Look who shows up from the Old Testament. It's not a random person like Enoch. I think he could have rocked up. That would have been fantastic. He walked with God and then was not. It wasn't Nathan, who is the descendant of David, who happens to have the bloodline that leads to Mary, who becomes the mother of Jesus Christ. No, it's actually two of the most profound men in the entire Old Testament. It's Moses who represents the law, and it's Elijah who represents the prophets. The fulfillment of everything that has happened in the life of Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So let me give you a couple of things that I feel like we can learn from this passage. Number one is, Jesus is not Moses. Jesus is not Moses. Moses is amazing. Moses wrote the law. Moses has some cool things happen to him, but he's not Jesus. What's amazing and profound about this to me is that uh, in, in Jesus' day, the people that he had the biggest conflict with are people that were in love with Moses. The religious leaders of their day hung their hats on their devotion to the law that came from Moses. And Moses is profound, no doubt. But as you will find if you go and read John chapter number 6, the day that Jesus decides to preach in the synagogue and they say to him that we would like, to do, like you for, to do a miraculous sign because uh, our ancestor Moses fed the children of Israel in the wilderness with manna to which Jesus replies, uh, no, Moses did not do that. My dad did that. And they all look and go, Joseph, your dad's, he's not old enough to have been at this event, Jesus. Are you sure it was your dad? 
Then he takes him a step further and says, yeah, not only was it not Moses that gave you the manna from heaven, um, I'm actually the true bread that comes down from heaven. And then they're like, go on. I'm listening. Then it turns from metaphor to quite literal in their ears, and it gets very repulsive very quickly because he goes, I'm actually the bread that came down from heaven. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. And that day, Scripture says, many of his disciples did this. (laughs) They left, and Jesus actually waves them off and turns to his original 12 and says, are you all going to go with him? Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is proving, uh, 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 I respect Moses, but I'm not Moses. Moses pointed to me. He is not me. The second thing is, Jesus is not Elijah. Elijah did some amazing things. He stands in the Old Testament as the greatest of the prophets in the Old Testament because if you look at Elijah's life, it's quite profound. He comes out of nowhere. We don't get the backstory like we get with some of the other people. We don't get to see him raised as a boy. He comes in 1 Kings chapter number 17 as a fully grown, bearded, locust-eating man. He walks up onto the scene and he says, after looking over the canvas of a degraded Israel, it's not going to rain for the next three and a half years. Did you all catch it? He didn't say, thus said the Lord, it will not rain. He said, it will not rain for the next three and a half years. And God said what he said. God literally co-signed on what Elijah said. Can you imagine having such a close relationship with God that whatever you say about a thing, God goes, "Mm mm-hmm, what they said. You didn't like it? I didn't like it either. I think this whole thing should be destroyed. God goes, I was thinking the same thing, and bam. (laughs) Elijah's amazing. Elijah challenges all the false prophets of Baal. He calls them up to a mountain. He cuts up a bull, and then he prays to the God of heaven and says, would you please, on behalf of them, Prove who you are. And this fire comes down from heaven and licks up the water from a soaked altar and burns up the sacrifice. Elijah's amazing. Elijah doesn't even have to die like the rest of us. He's so good with God that God just calls him home and he sends a whirlwind to come get him. This is the best life ever. When you take your mentor out to the middle of nowhere and go, hey, stand, stand back just a little bit. See you later. <laughs> and halfway up going into whatever heaven looks like, he just, here's my mantle. All right. 
Elijah is an incredible prophet. The only comparative analysis in the New Testament is John. But Jesus is not Elijah. See, I think a lot of times uh, when we look at Scripture in its totality from Genesis to Revelation, we find uh, that we uh, many times can have an affinity for certain books or certain passages, and that's all good. But, but, but I think that the, the main thing that, that, that Mark chapter 9 is trying to get us to really focus in on is that uh, the, 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 the entire Bible is good in context to Jesus. All of Scripture is edifying in context to Jesus, that the law is good, and that the history is good, and that the poetry is good, and that the prophets are good in context to Jesus. And the moment any of this tries to be appreciated or revered outside of the context of Jesus, it can turn into false worship of the wrong thing. It can turn into the twisted doctrine of devils. So what God is setting a precedent here on is much more profound than him just transforming into something dazzling. He's trying to get our focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. What is Scripture in context to Jesus? What is the Bible in context to this person who came and wrapped himself up in flesh to give his life for us all? Here is my son. Listen to him. He had already made it abundantly clear to everyone during this earthly ministry that I did not come to do away with the law, but I'm the fulfillment of it. Listen to me. That I am not trying to steer you into a wrong direction, nor am I telling you that your life is going to turn out to be everything you wanted to. I'm saying if you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's going to be some things that you might find difficult, but you've laid down your life to make a commitment to me. Listen to me. You will have life everlasting if you follow what I say. The cameo appearance, the fleeting moment of Moses and Elijah pale in comparison to the everlasting truth of Jesus. That the law and the prophets are as amazing as they stand next to Jesus are only like a fleeting moment because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and it is him who we will be celebrating, worshiping, and honoring for eternity. So what might this mean for us? It means that we should read the entire Bible. I know people that are like, oh, I'm just New Testament, I don't care about the Old Testament. I know people that are like, I'm just the Old Testament, but I don't care about the New Testament. You kind of need both. They're partners. They're testaments. You need two testaments, two testimonies 
for something to be established. The Old Testament is simply the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is simply the Old Testament revealed. They're a beautiful thing when you put them together. If you were to split your Bible at Malachi and Matthew, and we have like the little silent period, and then do like that and close it, they're just high-fiving each other. (laughs) It's the best scriptural high-five you could ever see in all of eternity. This is the revelation that we get to have that Peter and his disciples didn't, that it's really all about Jesus, that you can put the rest of it down. And if you look into the life of Jesus and decide to follow Jesus, you will fulfill everything that Moses wrote in the law. You will have accomplished everything that the prophets talked about in the Old Testament, and you will be following the person that they talked about. This had to be an incredible moment for Moses. After striking the rock twice out of anger and being disqualified from leading the children of Israel into the promised land, this moment on this mount, he has the opportunity to actually put his feet on the soil that was promised to Abraham. Talk about delayed gratification. (laughs) It's redemptive. It's spectacular. But let's not build our theology, our devotion, our affection to Scripture on what we love about the teachings of Moses or the prophets and the law and the prophecies. Listen to God's son, Jesus, and hear him. Because at the end of all time, the only person that will be left to hear is him. And every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.